When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the priests come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. You are tuned into episode 14 of From the Pink Seats. I am Jacob Lane, joined by Matt McGavick. And Matt, we have got a great show today talking about one of the topics that Louisville football fans love to discuss, recruiting. Oh, I love getting into recruiting. I mean, it's a bit of a fickle business for sure, just because it's basically an entire industry built on the backs of 16 and 17-year-old kids. But there's, um, even though this class is getting a little bit of a late start due to the size and just the nature of recruiting in this cycle because of the pandemic and whatnot, I'm still pretty optimistic as to what this class could shape out to be. There's a lot of narratives and things that I want to discuss, and we're going to bring in John Garcia today. He will be our guest on the podcast. He covers college football recruiting, actually heads up the college football recruiting for Sports Illustrated. And I'm excited to kind of dive into the narrative of the small class, the narrative of uh, Scott Satterfield and his his staff aren't being able to recruit at a level that will win in the ACC. You hit the, the nail right on the head there. It's a late start. Louisville was uh, one of the final schools in the ACC without a commitment up until this past weekend, but it's a small class, a lot of interesting things happening. So let's go ahead and bring John in now, and he'll be able to fill us in on what to expect with Louisville football recruiting. For fans, it may be the offseason when it comes to football, but for those like our guest today on From the Pink Seats, well, 
it's peak season. Recruiting season is officially here in full swing, and we thought there'd be no better person to help us out to talk about that and what to expect from Louisville football than John Garcia Jr., the director of football recruiting for Sports Illustrated's SI All-American. John, welcome to From the Pink Seats. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Good to be on with you guys. Appreciate you reaching out. Before we dive into some of the more Louisville-specific topics, I got to know, what's it like been covering recruiting for the last 12 months? <laughs> yeah, it's it's been different. Um, I think everyone has obviously had to shift to really a digital first format. Uh, and that's something that those of us in the industry were prepared for just because we, we are on the internet all day. We work for internet outlets primarily. So we were sort of ready for it, uh, at least as much as we possibly could have been. But really the college coaches and the kids weren't. Uh, you would think the kids were all assimilated towards the new technology. A lot of them you know, weren't used to Zooming or anything besides, you know, a FaceTime or a text. So I think everyone had a true adjustment period. But, um, you know, it's, it's worked out for a lot of kids and a lot of colleges, but obviously it's going to change in a big way in about, you know, five or six weeks. Uh, how, real quick, Jacob, how much of recruiting do you think has been permanently changed by the pandemic because of this like large shift towards more of a technological standpoint? Yeah, I talked to college coaches who who are are pretty sad because they, you know, a lot of their favorite time of year is this time of year because you get to hit the road, you get to sit down with high school coaches and and really sort of chop it up, go more old school with recruiting, do everything in person, dig with your intelligence how you see fit. You know, some guys like to talk to everyone at the school, some guys want to sit down with the head coach for for 3 hours um and they're really there's really momentum to suggest that that element of the process may be gone forever, uh, whether it's a, a limited evaluation period or zapping it all together for these months. There's there's sort of a fear with college coaches that they won't be able to, to see kids until it's official visit season or, or maybe a camp. And in a lot of situations, that's kind of late. You know, you want to be pretty clear on your board. Um, in the spring, if possible, and, and eliminating that in their mind uh, creates a little bit more work on, on the front end, which which obviously, you know, we all know college coaches work a ton. So they're not exactly excited about that. Sometimes being on the road is viewed as hard work, but they can really view it as a singular focus, identifying their, their top few guys and going out and, and really just hanging out with them. So a lot of them have have complained about potentially missing that portion, and we won't know what the future of it looks like until, you know, at least next year. Before we jump into really talking about the 2022 class, which is the, the current ongoing cycle, I want to just take a kind of a, a 30,000 foot view to this and just get your opinion on Scott Satterfield and the job that him and his staff have done recruiting from 2019 up until now, Matt and I were just talking about this. This will be their fourth class. It's crazy wow. to believe that we're already there. feels like just yesterday we were talking about, you know, who was going to be the head coach at Louisville after the two and 10 season. But just what are your thoughts on Scott Satterfield and the way that they've been able to kind of recruit so far um, in their third season at Louisville? Well, I think Scott Satterfield knows that, that it's a build and it's a long-term build. And I think the combination of him having done it in the past there at App State and him still being very coveted by other programs, right? That was really the whole off-season chatter uh, before this year with Scott. He understands the the long-term building aspect of, of a program. And, you know, for him, building at App State and building at Louisville, not really that different um, beyond the optics, right? Obviously, Power 5 versus G5. But in terms of 
footprint and where you want to go to recruit, there's a lot of similarities. You have to build out of state. You have to build really with those, those guys beyond tier one. Right. Um, and, and I think we've seen a lot of success with Louisville really in their entire history building beyond those tier one recruits, the guys that everybody thinks are the best. Um, so I think he's he's really understood that and has executed that with a gradual build year by year. I think every recruiting class has been better than the last one. And I think he's had some key head to head recruiting wins in very important areas, whether you're talking the Atlanta area or, or South Florida, which is really, you know, when Louisville has shined those are the two areas that have really been the pipeline uh, places, whether you're talking elite players, obviously you go, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson, or if you go, you know, more wide scope with, with building multiple prospects, those two areas are very important to Louisville football, especially in the ACC. So I think he's, he's done a combination of both, but he's still dipping into what he's used to a little bit more North Carolina, a little bit of that mid Atlantic area, and then the occasional, you know, dip to the Midwest and even the West coast, which has I think been really interesting in, in watching that program develop because Louisville is not the most no brainer sell for prospects outside of the region. So I think that is kind of a, a nice bonus uh, for what he's built in terms of roster construction at Louisville, because that's not something I think any, anybody really expected when he took over, I, I guess, four cycles ago, which, as you said, sounds crazy to say out loud. Let's just look real quickly at the at the 2021 class, the most recent class. They've got, got 10 guys that have already enrolled early and went through spring practice, headlined by Ben Perry, uh, Trevion Cooley, Braylon Oliver, Victone Brown, a couple of those guys. Uh, just general thoughts on how they did in 2021 with that top 40 class and uh, just a couple, maybe a couple of names that you, you've, you've liked along the process. Yeah, well, again, I think you you see my computer's not refreshing here. You see a lot of of those same footprints that that we talked about, and I think you built a lot of that in 2019, and especially 2020, when you're looking at you know the state of Florida in particular. But uh, again, the sprinkles out on the West Coast, um, and Matt, you you know this very well. We love Jair. You know, we love that that outside linebacker monster back presence if you will. Uh, I think those hybrids are, are really the future on both offense and defense, but certainly on defense. And again, when you're, when you're Louisville, when you're, uh, you know, Syracuse, Boston college, when you're in that, that group of the ACC, basically everybody not named, you know, Clemson, Florida state. Uh, well, really, really just Clemson. I would say Florida state, North Carolina in, in normal years, you have to build on, on, on some of those prospects. Um, I'm a big fan of Victor Brown. I, I saw him, really as a, as a sophomore uh, coming up in the Atlanta area. And there was a lot of promise. There was a lot of people who thought he was a clear SEC guy. So I thought winning that battle was really important. Um, and, and when you start looking at the high schools that Louisville has been able to pluck from, you're seeing big name high schools as well, which is always a secondary layer uh, of talent identification and acquisition that you want to hit. You want to go and grab prospects from Sandalwood in Jacksonville or prospects uh, from Atlantic in, in South Florida or different places. So I, I think hitting big schools again, in those two metros in particular, really important. And, and we've seen, you know, Louisville do that on a pretty consistent basis. So I really like that 2021 group uh, again, pipeline places and, and a sprinkle out West, which I don't know. I don't know why there's been a big sprinkle. Maybe you guys can fill me in on that, but uh, I like it. I think you have to get creative in recruiting nowadays, uh, the portal is crazy. Roster management is nuts more so than it has ever been. So getting outside of the footprint while seemingly scary, especially coming off of a pandemic, 
is still necessary when you talk about, uh, you know, building a true, you know, reflection of that NFL roster that every college coach aspires to. Yeah, some of that building West Coast pipeline you're just talking about is uh, the quarterbacks coach now is from San Diego. So that's probably where a lot of that builds from. But um, talking about the last couple of years, they've, like we've said, put together a string of two top 40-ish classes. And they're starting to win some of those uh, head-to-head recruiting battles. But there have been a couple of misses along the way. Chubba Purdy was committed up all the way up until the end of the time period, flipped to FSU. Corey Connor, big target, went to LSU. Trevion Ford and uh, Gavin Wimsett seemed to be uh, they been seemed to be in on them early, and then Ford ended up going to Mizzou. Wimsett left to go to Rutgers. Collie seemed like it, Prince Collie seemed like it was you know all but known that he was going to go to Louisville, but then Notre Dame swooped in at the last kind of at the pseudo last second, got him. What kind of stands out more to you? The fact that he's been able to put together, you know, a couple solid classes in a row or or the fact that they've still kind of missed on some of these more high profile head to head recruiting battles. Well, when you when you're looking at some of the schools that the head to head battles are, are, are falling against, it's certainly understandable to a degree. Right. Prince Kali is is, you know, is a monster linebacker who who really the last year of high school hit a different level. Uh, as a recruit, right? I mean, he, I think he ran for like 2000 yards and he was this all world linebacker. So I think he played his way sort of to tier one uh, when you're talking about, you know, power five programs. So I think that was a big part of it. I, I think that was going to be tough for Louisville, even if he was a verbal commit at the time that, like you said, it was the expectation for him uh, to jump on board. So I think some of those are, are sort of, <laughs> sort of you just chalk it up to, to wins and losses on Saturdays, you know, you chalk it up to perception of the program because those are going to be hard to win uh, really no matter what. Uh, so I, I do think that those are, are, you know, they just come with the business. I think if you're Louisville, you have to take prospects earlier than you would at an Alabama or an Ohio state. You got to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt and, and they secure their spot. And then other programs say, well, Hey, you know, this kid's a pretty good player. And then it's like right. a second recruitment that mm-hmm. you have to win. Uh, and Louisville has been able to win a lot of those, but you're definitely not going to win them all. Especially again, when you're talking about new age players like a Prince Collie, who is built for this modern age of football as a three down linebacker. There's just not many of those really in the country in any cycle. So holding on to a guy like that, even if he was committed would be tough. But again, if you're Louisville, that's what you have to do. You have to offer earlier, you have to gain commitments earlier, and then you've got to hold off as, as sort of the, the quote unquote big boys come in and, and try to poach your commitment list. It's just the nature of that type of program. And, and when it's, when it's up, you can hold them off, but when it's not, obviously you're going to go a little bit more 50, 50, maybe even less of a ratio with those battles. So kind of building off of that one way that uh, Scott Satterfield is trying to make sure that he can win more of these one-on-one recruiting battles and haul in some more blue chip recruits, so to speak, they've placed a heavy emphasis on completely retooling and rehauling the recruiting department over this off season. Uh, most notably, they hired David Cooper from Florida to be another uh, recruiting coordinator. They also brought in Caroline McMurray from Oklahoma to be their director of on-campus recruiting. Uh, how does this Louisville help, help, help them pull uh, top tier talent on a more consistent basis. Well, for, for this cycle, looking ahead to, you know, to 2022. So the kids who are finishing up their junior year about to go into their senior year, it's going to be about that on-campus feel for the first time in two cycles, right? It's going to be about the game day atmosphere 
there at, at Louisville, which, you know, I've been to, you guys have all been to, it is underrated. It is really, really solid. You know, the, the teams in the ACC that have really kind of under the radar rowdy home atmospheres are, are Louisville and NC state, you know, nobody talks about them in the, in the wide scope, but you go to a game there and you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. I see, I see why, you know, prospect X came here and committed on the spot. So I think that sell is going to be really important in this cycle. I think it's part of the reason why you see a lot of programs taking a very slow approach. You know, Louisville's got the one commit right now. I'm sure we'll talk about him, but it's a slower build. And, and the portals got to do with it. The one-time transfer rules got to do with it. Everyone maintaining their eligibility from last year has something to do with it. But with recruiting, it is a slower build. We're going to be able to see these prospects now from the college coach's perspective. We're going to be able to host camps. And then most importantly for a program like Louisville, we're going to be able to get them on campus when a Clemson or a Florida State or a North Carolina comes to town to, to present that, that atmosphere, to, to let kids realize what we've realized along the way at some point. Like, hey, this is, this is pretty cool. All these, you know, all the facilities are near each other and, and the stadium gets, gets, you know, packed out, great rivalry game, all of these things. Um, that sell is going to be more important than ever because I think you're going to see in the month of June a ton of movement, a ton of commits, official visits, all of that. But inevitably, as we get into the fall and those kids who are now committed continue to take visits, you're going to see a lot of decommits and a lot of changes of heart. So the ability to build the staff out, have more you know cooks in the kitchen to delegate and, and sort of prepare for the craziness that is recruiting, I think the more the better, especially when they're coming from places that have sort of been there and done that. And that sounds like what Louisville's done. All right. So you mentioned it there that Louisville finally got uh, a commitment under their belt this past week with, I- I'm going to go with Caleb here. We're not sure if it's Caleb or Khalid, but I'm going to go for with Caleb here. Just, just off the bat. We'll just declare that. Uh, what do you see in his game? Uh, what do you like about him? He's a, you know, he seems like he is a mix of what Louisville has had in the past for, and what Satterfield has had at, at uh, his stop at App State. But just from your analysis, what do you see in his game and, and what he'll bring to Louisville? Right. Well, it's it's hard to see. I, I, I came up in this business in the state of Alabama, so it's, it's going to be hard. I'm sure it's happening locally to not compare him to uh, Cunningham coming out at the same stage. Their rise is really similar. Their frame is similar. I think they're their skill set is very similar. Uh, this was a kid in Johnson that we were not really talking about a year ago at this point. Uh, he was a guy who was expected to step into a role as a starter, and it was sort of a wait and see and, and what's really a hard region to excel in there in the in the Birmingham area. But lo and behold, 2020 rolls around, and all of a sudden, Clay Chalkville is this program that people are buzzing about in the Birmingham area, really for the first time in, in four or five years since they had, you know, guys like Nico Collins and TJ Simmons, who, who have since done big things in the power five. Um, so now all of a sudden there's a buzz there and it's because really primarily of, of Johnson, Caleb Kaleeb, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that one out later. It's because of Johnson and, and his dual threat ability. I think most importantly with a quarterback, you want someone who can challenge a defense in every window. Um, we don't focus on that as much as we should in this business because we get enamored with the Trevor Lawrence's of the world, but how many of those really come around, right? Six, six, 200 pounds for your high school starter. There's just not a lot of those who can sit in the pocket and just rip you apart. So I think in this day and age, when, when there's a lot more decision-making to do for the quarterback, whether you're talking run pass option, a simple zone read or a three level progression, you've got to, 
try to grab guys who can challenge every level of the defense, both North and South and East and West. And I think that's what Johnson can bring. And I think where he is ahead of Cunningham at the same stage is in the most important stage for quarterbacks, it's decision-making. Mikhail was, was a little wild in high school. He was, he was very much a boomer, but we've seen that at Louisville a little bit. He's a boomer bust take faith in my guys and go from their type of quarterback when he decided to chuck it down the field. Johnson, a little bit more controlled, a little bit more centered. His mechanics are a little bit more advanced and he takes a little bit better care of the football. But when he does decide to run, whether it's to, to scramble, to throw the ball or to push and move the sticks, you see similarities between uh, the two. So I'm, I'm, I'm pressed to compare the two to each other, but at this stage, I think Johnston brings a little bit more security and a higher floor than Cunningham did. Although the ceiling for Cunningham might have been a little bit higher, even though you take some of that recklessness with it, but look, you know, Lamar Jackson had some of those same critiques coming out. Um, There's, there's a lot of, if it booms, it, it can be really special. And I think Louisville, not settling for Johnson, but grabbing him after the whole Wimsett situation makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. Uh, Alabama is a state that's been good to the program over the last few years. And, and if there's one metro area you want to dig into, it's Birmingham. It's Birmingham. That's where a lot of the top prospects are at Clay Chalkville, Pinson Valley, Hewitt Trustful, Hoover High School, Thompson High School, all these programs in one state in the last five years. Um, so you, you want to build there and there's no better position to build from than quarterback. So I think it's, it's an ideal, you know, first commitment in any cycle. Hoover high school is a name I have not heard in a long time. I've got a lot of memories as a kid watching Hoover high school on MTV play football, man. That's my, my first experience with Alabama football. All right. So I'm going to ask you this and feel free to dispel this notion. This is just my theory and you work in recruiting. You are far more advanced than I am, but as a Louisville fan and somebody who's covered the program, I think one thing that I kind of sense from Louisville fans and being a little unsettled with Scott Satterfield, three, four years in now is the quarterback position, right? Usually with Louisville coaches that have come in, they've landed their guy quickly by Petrino landed Brian Brom back in the early two thousands. did it again with Lamar Jackson. You can debate whether or not, you know, by Petrino actually wanted Lamar Jackson, but he landed him. <laughs> um, and then obviously Charlie landed, uh, Charlie strong landed Teddy Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Louisville's gotten guys, right? Cheva Purdy was supposed to be that guy. I think he would have been had he held on to his commitment, but they landed T Webb. They've landed TJ Lewis. Now you can add Johnson to the mix. Also can't, you know, forget Luke McCaffrey who will enroll this summer um, but I, I just I just can't help but wonder has has Scott Satterfield missed finding his guy or is this just kind of a different approach like how do you see it when you're in year four I know he got you know he inherited Malik Cunningham but there's still kind of no heir apparent to, to what's next for him right I think landing that guy has really become more difficult uh, again we mentioned how how much sooner kids are are making verbal commitments and how how permanent that is in the recruiting business. So when you're a, a relatively new staff, you're still establishing what what it is your brand is on the field. What what is your on field product? What is your history at the position and and who will be your guy? Uh, and I think also you have to take into account just the area. Um, in state, you're not going to get a Gavin Wims at every cycle right? Uh, maybe not every two or three cycles. So you, you already are at a disadvantage compared to everyone else really in your conference that you can't go hyper local and grab that guy and just sort of limp into that kid who's always wanted to wear that Louisville, you know, red and black. So 
I think that creates a bit of a disadvantage. You've, you've got to go to Atlanta. You've got to go to Florida. You've got to get into the Carolinas where really at App State, he was much more likely to, to have that kid than, than at Louisville. So I think that's part of it. Again, you don't want to use the pandemic as a crutch, but it is what it is, right? You know, if there's one position that, that classically you have to go do it for that head coach in person to get that scholarship, it was always the quarterback position. So without that outlet, uh, I think it was going to be harder for Louisville uh, to, to find their guy. And then again, it goes, it goes back to perception. I think when you're, when you're offering younger and younger and then everyone else is jumping in, uh, you, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle, especially without those opportunities to, to sit down and visit. So I, I think Satterfield deserves a bit of a pass in that department to this point. I don't think going forward we'll, we'll be able to give him as much. Uh, but rough transition, obviously taking over um, a lot of unusual circumstances to deal with in a ridiculously tough, not, not only conference, but division. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think all those things do factor in, you know, he couldn't limp into limp into Sam Howell, like Mac Brown did when he took over. Right. So it's just a completely different situation where, you know, Sam Howell's got family ties to Carolina. He's an in-state kid, all this stuff, even the next year with Derek, uh, with May or Drake May, same thing, younger brother of Luke May. It's just right there for Mac Brown at the taking. So yes, he flipped both of these quarterbacks, but man, it was so many circumstances were built for the flip. Now you still got to go execute it, but he was just, you know, he, he had more luck than Satterfield did with where these kids, you know, come from. And that's in the pandemic, especially that is more important than it's ever been. A lot of kids have sort of deferred towards staying closer to home more than we've ever seen because of, of the un- uncertainties around travel and what, what can and can't be done. So a lot of factors is my point uh, against Satterfield just on a neutral field. Um, so I think he gets a bit of a pass to date. Um, and like you said, he inherited maybe his most talented quarterback. So you can't, you can't ignore that. Right. Right. Exactly. You, you right. want your guy, but you can't, you can't just say, well, you know, I want to, I would just want to do it my way. I mean, that's a way to get fired in two years. And we've mm-hmm. seen, remember, remember a year ago, we thought uh, all these coaches were going to be, on a much longer leash because everybody would understand the pandemic and all the challenges. Oh man. It was, yeah. like, it was the yeah, black Sunday was very dark this we, year. It was, and it was we got that, yeah. We got a glimpse of that up, up close. Just a few months ago, Jack Bicknell, who was hired after let, being let go at Auburn. He was like, I thought we had a free pass. I thought it was a free year. And exactly. you know, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure to him. I'm pretty sure that was his exact words. Like he, he and a couple other guys on staff, they were all kind of blindsided with what happened there. And I, I honestly can't blame him. Yeah, and let me ask real quick on the quarterback thing. You've evaluated Evan Conley. You've evaluated TJ Lewis, now Johnson, Luke McCaffrey. Any four of those guys you think that can be kind of the long-term option in the face of the Louisville program? I tend to defer to youth uh, there. I, I think, you know, a, a Johnson makes makes a lot of sense based on what you want to do moving forward. Uh, and he has that foundation, uh, intellect, and and that really long-term ability to, to pick up what, what Scott Satterfield wants. But when you bring in a transfer like a Luke McCaffrey, I think there's an expectation built in with that, that makes it really tough on a quarterback room. Um, so, so I, if you define long-term by just the guy that gives you the best chance to, to reach the highest, you know, top 25 ranking or something like that, I think it could be more in the McCaffrey camp. If you, if you tailor some things for him, we all know there's limitations there. 
Um, but if it's about quarterbacking in the traditional sense and opening it up and, and trying to find that guy who can allow you to challenge in this high scoring nature of college football, I think you go, you go a little bit more, you know, younger at that stage. So uh, like I said, I really like what, um, what they're doing from an evaluation standpoint. So I'd lean towards Johnson in the future, but obviously you have to wait till he gets on campus to, to begin to have that question answered, but we are seeing more and more quarterbacks ready sooner uh, day one, year one, freshman year kind of guys. And I'm not saying Johnson is destined to be that, but um, with the body of work in such a short time, we could see that without a lot of imagination. Right. So kind of moving on to the rest of the 22 uh, recruiting cycle. Uh, as of this recording, they, like we've said, they have one commit in uh, Khalib Johnson, the quarterback, but they're, they're starting to trend in the, in the right direction for another prospect who's supposed to commit on Derby day, a uh, defensive end Popeye Williams. He's been trending towards Louisville. Uh, both him and Johnson are supposed to take official visits to Louisville on the same weekend. Once the dead period gets lifted, they've got a ton of other official visits lined up for some really high quality prospects and a number of highly rated, you know, your three stars and four stars. They've made the cut for several of those type of prospects there. Who are some uh, names to monitor in the rest of this recruiting cycle who could pull the trigger to Louisville? Well, yeah, you know, Popeye's the guy that I think most would would default to and and for good reason. Right. He's committing in a few days. Um, but but here's what gets interesting about him. And look, first of all, as a player, Popeye checks a lot of boxes. Right. He's got the frame. He's a ferocious pass rusher who could do so standing up or with his hand in the dirt. Fifteen stops behind the line of scrimmage in, in 2020 while playing in Indiana, which, you know, is is sort of getting a little bit better. I think, you know how much Louisville dips into the Midwest, you know, Ohio's always been good to the Cardinals, how much it dips into that Midwest footprint is, is going to be interesting to track uh, as, as it becomes more national. But with the Popeye Williams deal is the same issue we talked about earlier. You have to win this recruitment multiple times. So you got to win it on what is it Saturday or Sunday, but then you've got to win it after he takes visits elsewhere, right? He's got scheduled trips to what Nebraska, uh, Cincinnati, a couple schools that, that we assume he's going to take despite being verbally committed to school X, which we assume to be Louisville uh, at this point. So winning that recruitment more than once, um, I, I think will be big. It's good timing for, for Popeye. He had a big showing at the Under Armour event uh, there in the Midwest recently. So I think, you know, in terms of kids who are aware of their, of other kids, uh, I think that's a good a good deal. Pairing him with Johnson on an unofficial visit was really smart from Louisville's perspective. Though that strategy is 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 going to start to pay off. You have to do things like that when when you build a class. And I know Johnson wants to be uh, this pure recruiter, so starting with with maybe the top defender on the board uh, would make a lot of sense. So I think there could be a bit of a run here starting uh, for the Cardinals. Uh, with again, when you start with QB one in recruiting, I think you have a chance to build a great class because we've talked about a lot of pandemic related, um, you know, pivots in recruiting. One of the biggest is peer on peer recruiting because they have no rules, right? They can go and, you know, watch your high school game on Friday, take you out to dinner and, and hang out with you for the whole weekend and show you everything they know about a program or, or whatever. So getting Johnson more familiar why he in turn, you know, starts to peer recruit this class of, of 2022 will, will be big. And, and I think Popeye's the, the natural start for that. And, and I do think he picks Louisville over the weekend. And I think you've, you've got, again, a great foundation with uh, first and second commit, and then you could, you can go from there. 
And you talk to a lot of guys, uh, both locally in this region and nationally. When you talk to some of these guys, are there any who kind of uh, mention Louisville as some as a place that they're potentially interested in? And is there someone who uh, Louisville fans should uh, keep an ear out for uh, later on down the line? Well, I'm going back to the state of Alabama because I think there's there's a group of prospects that are sort of on the bubble there between uh, tier one power five and, and and the group that that it includes Louisville. So I'm wondering in that Birmingham area, can they you know get more involved for a, a Justice Finkley out of Hewitt Trustful? Can they get more involved for a, a prospect who's who's more highly thought of, like a Jeremiah Alexander at, at Thompson High School? You know, kids kids are more willing to leave the state. Then we've seen Alabama and Auburn can't grab everyone. Uh, so I, I'm looking for that footprint again with the quarterback committed to start to make a, a big difference. And look, his top target as a receiver, uh, I think his nickname is uh, Scooter Squirrel. Squirrel. Yep. Squirrel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Squirrel. You know, he's he's a great example for this because his rise coincides with Johnson's and obviously has a ton to do with it. Um, you win a recruitment like that where Alabama has offered and other programs have jumped in here and, and have recognized, you know, this explosive players talent who, you know, Louisville's done well with these smaller statured guys, right. For, for years and years. And one's about to get drafted here this weekend with, with Tutu that now all of a sudden you could bring some real momentum when you start winning those kinds of battles. And it is really not out of the realm of possibility that something like that happens again, that's why if if all things are even and you're grabbing a quarterback, get him in a big metro, in a, in a region, in a city where he's got a lot of talent, uh, especially if there's some on his team. So why not sell that? I'm sure Satterfield and, and Johnson and everyone else is selling squirrel on on being, you know, maybe the next tutu at Louisville, which is a sentence that, uh, you know, in grad school. I would have never thought I would say, but you know, have Johnson that's, sell squirrel on, if, on being the if, if, that's the name of the podcast right there, man. We just, <laughs> they just named itself. Yeah. If Louisville can land recruits named Popeye and squirrel. And, yeah. Like that, that that's the, the marketing possibilities there are endless. Yeah, yeah. A strong kid named Popeye and a quick kid named squirrel. Doesn't get much better than that. All right. I don't need that's an edit right there. A lot of Louisville fans are going to have, I don't say I have an issue with me asking you this, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the success that Kentucky is having just, you know, an hour away from here on the recruiting trail. Um, You can look at what they've done nationally, getting a a five-star kid, I think either in this year or last year's class, they've brought in a number of really high quality transfers. They've lost some kids that have left and, uh, but they just continue to kind of build steam and build steam in the toughest division in college football. Uh, but I, I don't think that that would be a big of an issue if you didn't take a look at what's happening in state and the fact that um, Louisville guy or you, like Kentucky's had seven, uh, 13 kids in the last two classes, 2020 and 2021 commit to them um, from the state of Kentucky. They've gotten one or two this year already. Um, Louisville's really having a hard time trying to build any kind of momentum in recruiting the state of Kentucky. And you mentioned Indiana as a state that's growing. I think you'd be you'd be you know remiss not mentioning the state of Kentucky growing in football as well. The talent is continuing to um, to grow here, you know, year after year. Uh, but it doesn't seem like Louisville can get any of it. What, you know, what has to happen there? I mean, I know obviously you mentioned it's a long play, but how does Louisville kind of get a foothold into the success that Vince Marrow and Kentucky are having right now? Well, yeah. Well, first of all, it's the head to head, right? I mean, that's when you're talking about comparing rivals, you have such a tangible. Um, 
a tangible script to play off of. And obviously Kentucky's, you know, more than held their own head to head. And then when you look at externally from that 30,000 foot view, you know, the SEC is just hard. It's just hard to combat. Um, the draft this weekend is only going to strengthen that sentence. Um, they're going to have the most kids drafted. I'm sure I don't have the numbers or the projections, but I would just guess yep. that the SEC is going yep. to do pretty good work here this weekend and Kentucky being a part of that and really being known for churning out defensive prospects, I think adds another layer to that because I think if you're talking offensive skill prospects versus defensive prospects, the harder sell for the, Hey, we're the up and coming school is offensively because you want your, you want to be able to, jump into, we, we hear a lot more about system and a lot more about this is, you know, QBU or wide receiver U or whatever offensively. We don't hear about it as much defensively because I think there's a little bit more buy-in. There's a little bit more chip on the shoulder with defensive prospects. And I think that is really where you see a discrepancy between Kentucky recruiting and Louisville recruiting. I think Louisville's probably done better offensively over the last five, six years in both recruiting and on-field product than Kentucky, but defensively where conventionally we still put this bubble around the sec even though it's 2021 and everybody has to score 30 to win um that's really where as you mentioned with with vince with stoops with all of these guys combining that's where you've seen a lot of of success um and it translates to sundays which has really become number one in recruiting 10 years ago it was about hey i want to I want to feel something when I go to the campus and I want to see the pageantry and eat good food and all of that. And look, kids still want to do that, but it is, that's a secondary desire. It is about Sundays and my ability to potentially go to the NFL. So I think if you're talking, you know, quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, I think Louisville's going to get that, that benefit of the doubt. But if you're talking basically anywhere on defense, kids are going to go Kentucky head to head. And then when you throw in the sec and, and maybe more stability, thing like that that's where Kentucky's going to to gain a little bit more traction with prospects so I think there have been a lot of great defensive prospects in the state um, in terms of offensive guys in Kentucky Kentucky hasn't been killing it you know in terms of keeping them home a lot of them have left right the big notable guys whims it this year I go back to like Damian Harris guys like that you know it's not like Kentucky had did a great job keeping them home offensively but defensively it's certainly a different story so I think that's the biggest gap in perception with the two programs in addition to the head-to-head and now we'll be able to see that on a consistent basis and kids will be able to to experience it in person which will again be be a big difference but I think those are the biggest differences in terms of Louisville catching up quote-unquote to to Kentucky in state. And you kind of mentioned the draft as being a, a crucial part of uh, recruiting nowadays. Do you think how much of an impact will Louisville's performance in the draft this weekend, such as, you know, you mentioned Tutu and then potentially Des Fitzpatrick and then Javion Hawkins, how much of an impact will them getting drafted kind of generate momentum towards this 22 cycle? That's what it's about, honestly. And, and it looks like you, you mentioned Jake, Scott Satterfield knows it's about quarterback. It's about offense. He's got to get that thing rolling. And those are all the, the skill positions we're going to see taken. I mean, Javion is, is so fun to watch. He comes from a powerhouse in Florida. All the things we've talked about, he's one of these living, breathing examples. So is Tutu, right? A guy who was overlooked, 
really couldn't stay close to home. So he had to go elsewhere. He'll be the lightest kid drafted in however many years, maybe ever. Um, so all of those sort of underdog success stories are, are really, really important for Louisville. Uh, the higher these kids go and, and the earlier they make an impact at the next level. Um, I think, again, it, it really fosters the perception and, and, and creates a tangible value because look, you know, we're older, right? So we, we remember, uh, you know, these great Louisville prospects at every position who played in the NFL forever. Right. I mean, some of these kids now like might not know who Jair Alexander is, you know, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility for them to have to Google that, even though it's only been what, four or five years since, since he he went in the Mm -hmm. first round. So, you know, when you're 17 years old, you know, 12 and 11 seems like a long time ago. You weren't, you weren't looking up at the SEC and conferences and, and NFL draft picks at that age. So it's all about the relevance of today and, and the perception with, with these prospects. So doing it year in, year out is crucially important. Just ask Texas, just ask USC as they have fallen off and now are scratching and clawing their way back to the top. Ask Miami, right? I mean, these kids don't know who, who Ray Lewis and Ed Reed are. So those programs can't rely on, on that in this age like, like we think they could because me because we've been around. The three of us have been around. So we know that just off offhand. You know, ask Tennessee, ask Nebraska how hard that is to overcome, you know, you know, we look at those programs as national brands. Teenagers don't. So they, they think Oregon is a more national brand than those programs, both now historically the whole thing when it's, it's not the case head to head. So you have to remember who's, who's making these decisions. And a lot of times the people around these kids are in the same or a worse boat in terms of knowing what's going on today, because, you know, they're, they're a mom working, you know, two full-time jobs or a high school coach in the middle of nowhere. Who's really just focused on Friday nights, who doesn't have Twitter, you know? So it's, it's really a layered conversation. So anything current, Lamar Jackson, you know, draft this weekend, anything current like that just does such huge numbers for perception. I think that's why you see social media departments doubling down on what has been done in the past. Cause mm-hmm you know, they throw up a Lamar Jackson graphic and we're like, okay, yeah, we know he, he did this, this, and this, but the kid don't remember the hurdle over Syracuse. Cause he was, you know, he was 13 and at his middle school dance when that happened or something. <laughs> so, you know, those reminders seem, seem corny sometimes for, from every program, but they're really necessary because these kids really don't know as much as we think they do. You're exactly right. And just to, to that note, so this past week, it's funny you say that Louisville football has been doing a great job of spotlighting a lot of the guys that have been drafted um, over the last few years. And to the average recruit, I don't know what they think about Sheldon Rankins, Bilal Powell. I mean, obviously Jair Alexander, but Chris Redmond, Preston Brown, Harry Douglas. It's just a lot of got Gary Barnage. Like it's a lot of really, really good players who had great college careers. But to, to the extent that these kids would – know who they were and kind of follow and want to be in their footsteps is, is probably pretty minimal. All right. I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll get out of here on this. Um, one thing I've really found interesting, I work in marketing full time um, dur- during the day, my day job, what pays the bills around here. And one of the things I'm really interested in is the name and image and likeness rules that are getting ready to come down in college sports um, and really have the opportunity to change the landscape. Louisville has partnered with open door. So a lot of programs across the country have done the same or similar platforms to really try to prepare themselves we've seen them do things as minimal as you know tagging their players on social media and creating just these really cool graphics for recruits and things like that 
and the conversations that you've had with coaches, with players, parents, how much of that is being even thought about right now on the recruiting trail? Like are, how are programs kind of preparing for this? What are the worries? Just what's the general kind of con- conception around the name image likeness rules coming down? It's as big as, as we can imagine and, and probably bigger uh, all, all at the same time. Um, we, we know, we know players will be paid in some way, shape or form. We know they'll be able to benefit off of this name uh, image and likeness sooner rather than later. We just don't know the parameters surrounding it. So as college football opens back up and as we do official visits again, which will start June 1st, that will now be the next, you know, meeting or room we have to go to as a, a high school player, parent, and coach or whoever's in the entourage for the weekend. Now you go to try on the Jersey and eat good food at the steakhouse and go to the stadium and go to your academic presentation. Cause I want to major in business or what have you. Now we're going to go to the player marketing room or whatever we're going to call it. Um, and now that's going to be its own presentation and there will be commercials with whatever Lamar Jackson is endorsing right now um, that will, that will pop up and, and they'll say, Hey, you'll have an opportunity to do X, Y, and Z. We've seen programs create whole entire departments surrounding this just in preparation. I know USC has this thing called Boulevard Bound, which is like a movie studio for their, their players. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Wow. So the, wow. the programs with resources or even those without will allocate many to this as soon as possible. And I think that's why you're seeing, like you said, just about every program partnering with some type of company that knows the deal with this stuff, or is at least prepared to, to start to know, um, because that is going to be a very important sell. Um, and they need to be ready when those parameters do come out. Hey, does this conference pay more than this one? Can you do more in this state versus that state? All of those honestly complicated things that are above my pay grade, all of those departments need to be ready to roll with that immediately. So uh, I think every power five school could stand to benefit from this. And I think when you're a program like Louisville who recruits so much outside of their own footprint, you have to sell that in a, in a different way. Like, Hey, the Miami guys who have come to Louisville um, collectively earn this much. And this is what they could do marketing wise. And Lamar is doing this and Tutu's going to do this. The moment he gets drafted, what have you, you, you can really tailor that market to where the prospect is from or his position, something like that. So I think we're going to see really the, the epitome of creativity come out of, of name, image, and likeness, just like we've had to see a lot of creativity coming out of the pandemic and that digital first recruiting approach. NIL will be that times infinity because it will be literal dollars on the table and much less recruits signing here or there. Absolutely fascinating stuff. We can't thank you enough, John, for hopping on with us. It, it, for all of the our listeners that um, are interested in college football recruiting and want to, you know, go to a national landscape, be sure to follow John on Twitter at John Garcia underscore Junior. Be sure to follow SI All American at SI All American. John, can't thank you enough. And uh, I know it's going to be a busy couple of months for you here as life kind of gets back to normal. Uh, enjoy it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, fellas. Thanks for having me on. We've got an exciting football giveaway coming up soon on From the Pink Seats podcast that I want to tell you about. We've partnered with one of the most talented creators in the city of Louisville to give away bourbon barrel heads with some custom wood art. Thanks to Made by Jay Lane, we'll be giving away bourbon barrel heads with custom art dedicated to an iconic moment in Cardinal football history. We'll share the full details on how to be entered to win in an upcoming episode of the podcast as well as on our social media. 
follow at Pink Seeds Pod on Twitter. Then be sure to follow Made by Jay Lane on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And head over to his website, madebyjlane.com, to browse through his full gallery of work. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.